0: Hello and welcome to this comparison episode, we could call them bonus episodes, of Pericles and Fabius. In these comparison episodes, I'm reading the entire comparison that Plutarch has. The Coriolanus-Alcibiades one was a little on the longer side, this Fabius-Pericles one is a little shorter. And then I riff on some of my own thoughts at the end. So let's dive right in, shall we? Plutarch jumps in. Such is the story of these men's lives. And since both left behind them many examples of civil as well as military excellence, let us consider in the first place the matter of their military achievements. Pericles was at the head of his people when its prosperity was greatest, when its own strength was at the full and its imperial power culminating. Apparently, therefore, it was the general good fortune and vigor that kept him free from stumbling and falling. Whereas the achievements of Fabius, who took charge of his city at times of the greatest disgrace and misfortune, he did not maintain her safely in her prosperity, but rather lifted her out of disaster into a better state. And besides, the victories of Cimon, the trophies of Myronides and Leocrates, and the many great successes of Tolmides, made it the privilege of Pericles during his administration To enrich the city with holidays and public festivals, rather than to enlarge and protect her dominion by war. Fabius, on the contrary, whose eyes beheld many disgraceful defeats, many cruel deaths of generals and leaders, lakes and plains and forests filled with slain armies and rivers flowing with blood and slaughter to the sea. He put helping and supporting hands to his city, and by his firm and independent course Prevented her from utter exhaustion through the disasters brought upon by others. And yet it would appear to be not so difficult a task to manage a city when she is humbled by adversity and rendered obedient to wisdom by necessity, as it is to bridle a people which is exalted by prosperity and swollen with insolence and boldness, which is precisely the way in which Pericles governed Athens. Still, The magnitude and the multitude of evils which afflicted the Romans revealed the steadfast purpose and the greatness of the man who was not confounded or confused by them and would not abandon his own principles of action. Over against the capture of Samos by Pericles, it is fair to set the taking of Tarentum by Fabius. And against Euboea, the cities of Campania, Capua itself was reduced by the consuls Fulvius and Appius, in open and regular battle, Fabius seems to have won no victory except for that which he celebrated his first triumph, whereas Pericles set up nine trophies for his wars on land and sea. However, no such exploit is recorded of Pericles as that by which Fabius snatched Minucius from the hands of Hannibal and preserved an entire Roman army. The deed was certainly a noble one and showed a combination of virtue wisdom, and kindness all at the same time. So, on the other hand, no such defeat is recorded of Pericles as that which Fabius suffered when he was outwitted by Hannibal's strategy of the cattle. He had his enemy imprisoned in the narrow defile, which he had entered of his own accord, and accidentally but let him slip away unnoticed in the night, force his way out when day came, and take advantage of his adversary's delays, and so conquer his captor. And if it is the part of a good general not only to improve the present, but also to judge correctly of the future, then Pericles was such a general, for the war which the Athenians were waging came to an end as he had foreknown and foretold, for they undertook too much and lost their empire. But it was contrary to the principles of Fabius that the Romans sent Scipio against Carthage and were completely victorious not through the favor of fortune, but through the wisdom and valor of the general who utterly conquered his enemies. Therefore, the very disasters of his country bear witness to the wisdom of Pericles, while the successes of the Romans prove that Fabius was completely in the wrong. And it is just as great a failing in a general to involve himself in disaster through lack of foresight as it is to throw away an opportunity for success from lack of confidence. Inexperience, it would seem, is to blame in each case, which both brings about rashness in a man and robs him of his courage. Such were their military abilities. As for their statesmanship, the Peloponnesian War was a ground of great complaint against Pericles, for it is said to have been brought on by his contention and that no concession should be made to Sparta. I think that not even Fabius Maximus would have made any concessions to Carthage, but would have undergone the noble danger necessarily to maintain Roman supremacy. Nevertheless, the courteous and gentle conduct of Fabius towards Minucius contrasts forcibly with the factious opposition of Pericles to Cimon and Thucydides, who were both good and true men of the highest birth, and yet were subjected by him to ostracism and banishment. But Pericles had greater influence and power than Fabius, for this reason he did not suffer any other general to bring misfortune upon the city by his evil counsels, except when Tolmides broke away from his guidance, and carried through by main force a plan for attacking Boeotia, and met there with disaster. But the rest all attached themselves submissively to Pericles' opinion, because of the greatness of his influence. Fabius, on the other hand, though sure and unerring in his own conduct of affairs, seems to have fallen short through his inability to restrain others. Surely the Romans would not have suffered so many disasters if Fabius had been as influential with them as Pericles was at Athens. And further, as regards their freedom from mercenary views, Pericles displayed it by never taking any gifts at all. Fabius displayed it by his liberality and generosity to those in need when he ransomed at his own costs the captured soldiers. Although the amount of his property was not great and amounted to about six talents, Pericles, though he had opportunities owing to his authority and influence, to enrich himself from obsequious allies and kings, beyond all possible estimates, nevertheless, kept himself preeminently superior to bribes and free from corruption by the side of the great public works the temples and the stately edifices with which pericles adorned athens all rome's attempt attempts at splendor down to the times of the caesars taken together are not worthy to be considered nay the one had a towering preeminence above the other both in grandeur of design and grandeur of execution which precludes comparison. So I get a sense that Pericles won, (laughs) don't you? But I want to point out or draw out a few other parallels and then point to one or two things that Plutarch doesn't seem to mention here. But first he looks militarily and thinks, it sounds like he's going to praise Fabius as the best because he has a people when they're at their worst. He is not responsible for the tragedies of the beginnings of the war, but he is leading the people when those tragedies strike and then becomes the dictator that's supposed to dig them out of that problem. But then Plutarch flips it and says, actually, it might be easier to lead people who need you. It might be easier to lead the English when London is being bombed by Nazis And when it's not, I wonder what Churchill would say. And they certainly threw him out after he had won the war. So it's interesting. Um, And Churchill actually lives beyond World War II. But the other thing is that Pericles seems to have fellow generals, generals who are also successful, but he's factious with them. He's factious with Chimon and tries to get him sent away but there's no mention of fabius's factiousness with scipio at least in the in those sentences at that moment so i think it's interesting samos and tarentum are both directly compared but one wonders right is the ceo who brings a company from near bankruptcy back to solvency a better leader than the one who than the ceo who can take over an apple and keep them producing at a great rate i don't know That's another leadership parallel, but it's something to think about for sure. That's the first comparison. And then he says, okay, they both made mistakes, but Pericles definitely stacked up more victories. Fabius's victories were more skirmishes, which I think is the nature of a defensive war. And his primary victories were often victories that saved a Roman army from destruction, right? which he thought he was doing when he was resisting Scipio, but this I thought was a good sentence. It's just as great a failing in a general to involve himself in disaster from lack of foresight as it is is to throw away an opportunity of success for lack of confidence. Both of those have to do with the future And you can't fall into a trap, which Fabius does, but I feel like Fabius doesn't always do the second one. He throws away an opportunity for success. Now, Pericles was cautious as well. Remember, he even wakes up from his deathbed at one point to remind the people gathered around his deathbed that his greatest achievement was the number of Athenian lives that he did not waste or lose. And so Tolmides coming in here is that example of a brash waster of human life is is another good thing to remember, right? There's no such thing on the good guy's side as cannon fodder, right? Or You can never look at your soldiers that way. You're always trying to think, how do I win this battle with the lowest number of deaths? And both Fabius and Pericles, I think, have that in common, that they were approaching war from that angle and not a game of numbers or we... We outnumber them, and we are going to pick better terrain, so therefore we must win. Right? Wars are ultimately won by the minds and bodies of the men on the ground. And that's somehow forgotten sometimes in the statistics of 80,000, 50,000, 40,000, etc. So Pericles and Fabius, though, I, I don't think they ever lose sight of that, and it's in large part because of their personal connection to their men, Fabius was, that was given specifically in his life, but Pericles implies it by that, well, that ability to, with equanimity, treat every citizen, not as his equal, because that really wasn't Pericles' ideal. He knew he was better than them, but treat them with with a certain amount of dignity. I'm reminded of the the man who bothers him, from the moment he leaves the theater all the way to his house, just as the sun is setting. And Pericles doesn't say anything to him, but has a servant bring a torch and hands and has the servant go ahead of him with the torch so that the man can find his way home without stumbling. It's that kind of thing, right? Pericles cares about individual people, the individual people in front of him and never leaps from a statistic from, from a person to a statistic and just thinks, okay, yeah, we can win because we've got these numbers or it's by the numbers, by the book. But then Pericles' influence was far, far stronger where it seemed like he was the man in charge, even of a democracy. The ways that they voted was the way Pericles wanted them to vote. And Fabius exerts that control or that influence, we should say, over the Senate at the end. But he never fully brings the people to his side. And I I highly doubt that the population of Rome, that the voting population of Rome was much bigger than the voting population of Athens in these comparative uh, centuries, the end of the 5th century B- BC for Pericles and the end of the third century bc for the romans so but the the closing note i think is so powerful because he points out that when you go to rome right even in plutarch's day he's dead by the time hadrian is there so hadrian rebuilds the pantheon there's a there's a few more amazing things that are going to go up in the lifetimes of hadrian and and uh Antoninus Pius and Marcus Aurelius but most of Rome as a tourist attraction most of what's there is there right not Renaissance Rome obviously and what gets built by the popes but the Colosseum has already been built the theater of Marcellus has already been built the Circus Maximus has already been built the Baths of Caracalla had not been built yet nor had the Hadrian's tomb is what is now called Castel San Angelo at the other side of the main bridge to St. Peter's Augustus's tomb had been built. That's now about 10 years ago, reopened in Rome. That's really cool. So the roads, obviously the aqueducts that feed all the stuff, most of that infrastructure is in place. But Plutarch makes the point that the city of Rome was not built in a day and it wasn't even built in a generation. There is still the famous Augustus quote, when Augustus dies, I found Rome a city of bricks and I left it a city of marble. I believe that's Suetonius, who reports that, and he is a near-contemporary of Plutarch. But it still is the Caesars. It still is near tyrannous or kingly dominion. And some of the kings are virtuous, and that's a good thing when it happens, but many of the kings were not. Many of the emperors were not. And what... Plutarch finds most amazing is that the, the la- what you get when you have each emperor trying to build on the previous emperor's great building project is a lack of unity. And so what you have with Pericles and Phidias' plan is a unity that comes together in one moment and crystallizes that one moment In a way that probably Plutarch would compare much more to a cathedral where, sure, the cathedrals took generations, but there was a unity of plan for most of them from beginning to end. And they became the center of the town, really, until the present day for most of them, right? So I find it interesting to end with that image of the buildings because we still visit rome and athens to this day and the roman athens that we visit are the rome of the caesars and then later the popes and the athens of pericles 100% that's all you're seeing uncovered up on the mountains now obviously the greeks kept or the romans kept that up hadrian in some ways massively improved it there's a larger temple to jupiter down on the, below the acropolis uh, closer to the to the roman forum and further away from the Greek agora. But, but yeah, there's something really powerful about the architectural longevity of Pericles' works being the product of war, but in many ways also a monument to peace. Because at least in the last three or 400 years, when they became part of the grand tour and they became something that people could go see, they obviously only were something that people could see in times of relative peace. Uh, I guess there were there were GI's invading Greece and Italy that were able to see the see Rome and Athens, but Rome and Athens in a time of war were probably a pretty sad sight. So overall, this comparison just makes me want to visit the cities of Rome and Athens and really take in that argument from. It's almost like the argument from architecture and realize that. The Republic, as amazing as it was, and these are really the lives of the Republic that Plutarch raises up for us, didn't leave a huge or important or even long lasting architectural footprint. That was left for the Caesars. And yet, it is almost like that footprint allows us to look back to the glory of the Republic. And so many statesmen and so many cities since then have modeled themselves on Athens and Rome, on Pericles and Fabius. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, is the, what are the cities that have influenced us? What are the cities that reflect our values? What are the cities that, show, that will show the future in a way bigger and maybe even longer lasting than our writing? Who we were, what kind of a people we were, and what was most important to us and our leaders. With that, I will leave you until the next life. See you next month. Peace.